You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner. I'm joined by Kyle Newbeck and Rich Hoffman. We are at the Camden training facility in between workouts. They had Josh Hart and Dylan Brooks in earlier this morning, and we'll have Malik Monk in this afternoon. How you guys doing? Hanging in, man. It is, it is weird talking to you guys while looking at you. We, uh, we don't normally do this. This is definitely a little bit different. I guess what we're going to do, oh, real quick before we begin, since Kyle gave me props the other day for doing this on the regular, we should probably actually do it. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and the TuneIn Radio app. Also, pleased to be a part of the CLNS Media Network. You can download the app on iOS and on Android. Just search for CLNS, uh, and you can find Real Gym Radio, B-Ball Breakdown, and Sam Vecini's Game Theory Podcast as well. All right, I guess... There's a lot of rumors going around trading the three for five and ten. Uh, there's whether or not Josh Jackson has a, a, a promise. There's what well, big fan of Dennis Smith. So we're gonna. I guess today's podcast is gonna be mostly about whether or not you believe the bullshit which is out there. So Can I, I guess, just say no and end the podcast right here? <laughs> that is a very boring podcast. Drop the mic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we have. You know, quite a bit. There's where do we want to start. Which 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 rumor do you think has the most validity? I guess. Uh, I not the most validity, but I would say the the Josh Jackson rumors are probably the the most consequential ones, just because of what would happen if he was promised by the Lakers. That would really shake up the, both the Sixers' plans and what the rest of the draft would look like, I guess. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so Jackson, I believe it was a Phoenix radio host, I forget his exact name, but said that Josh Jackson has a promise. He's not 100% sure which team has made that promise, which adds a little bit of intrigue, but that Josh Jackson has a promise. Since then, he has gone back to Los Angeles for a second workout. He's canceled a workout with Boston and has not yet scheduled a workout with Philadelphia, even though... Uh, Tom Moore recently reported that they would be open to it. So I guess we'll start off with Kyle, since we already went to you. On a scale of 1, which is bullshit, and 10, which is legitimate, where do you put this on the scale? So I'd say it's a 5. I'd say like there is reason to believe that L.A. would consider taking Jackson at 2. Like That's that's what I think the promise would be. Now, the reason why I say it's a 5 is I don't know why they're making a promise to him at, in the first place. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense when you're at 2 to do something like that because they pretty much hold all the cards. But other than Boston, they can, they're going, the whole draft will pivot on whether they take Lonzo Ball or whether they take Fox or Jackson or whoever. And the, the reason that there are some smokescreen signs for me is because this all came out, and it also came out that Josh Jackson had canceled a workout with the Celtics, and you would think a guy who's going to go top three would want to have a workout with the team with the number one pick. Even if he thinks Markel Fultz is going to be the guy, you would think a competitor like Jackson would say, hey, here's my opportunity to potentially go number one overall instead of two or three to whoever promised me. Well, not even just competitor. At this time of year, everything's about perception. Right. And if an agent can make it appear like his client has a chance of going number one, even Absolutely. if we all know that's bullshit, yeah, they're going to take that opportunity. Yeah, so so I didn't really get that part of it. Now, I guess you could say 
maybe LA said, hey, cancel your workout with Boston. We just want to have you in again, and they'll, they'll start the the coronation process, I guess. But even since then, there have been other reports that Ball will be back for more workouts and interviews and such. So that it, there's a lot of things that really aren't adding up there. But I think it's something that the Sixers should be planning for and thinking about over the next week. It was surprising not to see Jackson want to work out in Boston just because when you're a top draft prospect, the top team gets in who, you know, if they want you in their gym, they usually get you. And for him, I mean, like the whole idea of a promise, it's like, well, there's nobody above Boston. So what the hell does a promise matter? Right. Like, like for a team below you, I, I get the sense that the Lakers are an unpredictable team. Just think about this. Magic Johnson, never done this. Total wild card. Rob Palenko, former agent who was probably feeding a lot of these rumors. So, like, you have no idea what he's doing, and obviously this is his first time on the other side of the table. So I'm not surprised that the Lakers are sending mixed messages. Um, You know, it it does seem like with with Lonzo Ball and the Lakers, everybody has a strong opinion about what it means. Oh, Magic Johnson's from Michigan and Kobe's from Philadelphia, so why would he care about somebody from California or – you know, the, the other side of it, how are you not going to take the California kid? Come on, they'll be they'll be furious if he turns into a star somewhere else. So I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I would say that you are seeing enough reports now. It, to me, it seems like they're at least thinking about taking Josh Jackson. I, I'm not sure Ball is the home run that he was sort of sold to be at the beginning of it. So I, I would say, you know, from a scale of 1 to 10, let's go 6. Yeah, I think I think I'm probably right around there. Probably more towards if I had to pick between five and six, it'd probably be a six. I think there's that that Boston thing kind of gave some legitimacy legitimacy to it because you're right. If they ever get a chance to interview and meet with the the number team with the number one pick, they usually do that. You wonder whether or not Los Angeles, if it's Los Angeles making the promise, requested that they cancel all all other workouts they have planned. The the thing that's throwing so I guess before we begin that. If there, let's, let's assume there is a promise, 100% chance there's a promise that report is true. What percent chance is it that it's the Lakers giving him the promise? Zero. I, what does a promise mean from them? Yeah, I just I don't know what a promise does for anybody right now. But, but I just I, again, let's assume that the promise is true. That it actually there someone gave him a promise. What percent chance Lakers? What percent chance Sixers? I guess which team would you see as more likely to make that promise? See, I think the promise, considering that the guy is from Arizona and he's he's broken past stories on the Suns. I think and just looking at the Suns roster, if I had to pick a team and there is a promise, it would be them. That would make sense. So I would lean sort of along those same lines. I would say I lean LA because because they know that Phoenix likes Josh Jackson a lot and wants Josh Jackson. Maybe they want that to get out through through Jackson's agent or somebody else so that they they put themselves in this position of power and make it seem like they're going to take Jackson so that they can force Phoenix into perhaps making a trade up and picking up some extra assets. Because as you guys know, the Lakers are pretty capped out and asset depleted right now in terms of draft picks. But you do have Timothy Mozgov. Yeah, any way you go with this, there's something contra- contradicting it. Like you wouldn't expect that he would have a promise from the Sixers because he hasn't worked out for the Sixers unless there's been some kind of clandestine meeting they had in, you know, middle of like Tennessee somewhere that we don't know about. 
Which That's you never possible. know. Yeah, you he never know. for the Lakers in Sacramento. You wouldn't think the Lakers gave him the promise because Lonzo Ball is going back there for the second workout. And if Lonzo Ball's agent gets sniffed that they gave him a promise, then he's going to be pissed off that you know, he's not going to want to go into that situation if there's no chance of his client getting drafted there. And you wouldn't think that Phoenix did it just because, um, you know, there he hasn't – has he worked out for Phoenix? Am I missing that? I don't remember him. I would have to, have to consult the giant – draft workout yeah, sheet it's, that I it's have somewhere. Very strange, Joe. I do think that there could be a little bit of deception going on there, but I also do think that he is legitimately in play with, with Los Angeles at number two, at, at, at the very least far more to, than I would have expected two weeks ago. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely think they're considering Josh Jackson at number two. And, I mean, you know, it's also been rumored that they're pretty high on De'Aaron Fox. Too. Yeah. So I, it, it was funny. I think we, we started this process by saying – that the Sixers sort of control the draft in that, like, we assume Fultz was going to go one, Ball was going to go two. I think the Lakers control the draft because it, it seems like right. there's a little bit of mystery with what they're going to do. Yeah, and once once that domino drops, I think things will get a lot clearer for the Sixers because I wouldn't necessarily take them there. I, I, there's a debate to be had, but I think they will almost certainly take Ball if he's there at three. If the Lakers don't take him, I think that's almost a, a lock. Um, okay, next next rumor. We have the three pick for five and ten. And initially it was, I believe, Jordan Schultz who came out and said that the Kings were desperate to move up to get De'Aaron Fox and that they'd be willing to include both the five and the ten pick to get it done. Since then, Keith Pompey came out and confirmed that there was at least interest there. And then Adrian Wojnarowski, I don't know if he claimed sources on this one, but he he basically said it's not happening. They wouldn't do that. Uh, and then well, someone from the Sacramento Bee, Eileen uh, Voison, something like that. I don't remember her exact name. Uh, came apologies, out said, Eileen. Yeah, p- apologies if you're listening to this podcast. Um, came out and said that she didn't think that was a legitimate rumor as well. So one to scale, again, one or one to ten, one bullshit, ten legitimate interest. Do you think that the Kings are looking to move up with the five and the ten pick to get the Aaron Fox? So I would put this one at around a three, and I want to put it at a one because it just feels like so much to give up. But it's the but Kings. It's the Kings. It's the Kings. Okay, well, you can never rule out the. Let Kings. me rephrase this a little bit. <laughs> give me a one to ten on whether or not that specific rumor is true, and then a one to ten on whether or not the Kings are looking to move up from five. Okay, so whether they want to move up from five, I think that if they can move up for the price of like adding in a second round pick or one of these like bench players that they have. If it's cheap, which it shouldn't be, you're moving up in the top five of an NBA draft. I think they do it. I think they're very interested. I would say that's like a eight, nine, 10, somewhere in that range. If as far as moving five and 10 though, to move up those two spots, I just don't think that like I put that at a very, very low probability, mostly because if they really want Fox that bad, He's going to be there at five. Like, I just don't see a world where he's not on the board for them to pick at five. Or at least I wouldn't be comfortable trading up for De'Aaron Fox. Like, I think he's a, a fine prospect, but there are too many concerns for me to, to say, like, oh, yeah, let's go balls to the wall, gung-ho for him that we got to give up another premium asset in a deep draft. So I would put that probability low, again, in the three range, but – it's the Kings, so you never know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, ever since this has been rumored, you just look at, like, the projected value of the picks, and it just doesn't add up. Like, 
unless the guy had three, it's like a three-player draft, and there are three absolute studs, and it falls off a cliff after that. But but that's not the case here. So, yeah, it, it never really made that much sense to me. And, uh, I mean, like, look, the caveat is that the Kings do dumb things. They've done this current Kings organization, this front office has done just dumb things. And I, I do think, like, I, I would put it at a 10 that they're interested in De'Aaron Fox, which is fine. I, I think... You know, he, he could be a good player there. That That's a good fit for him. He'll have the ball in his hands the entire game. It, it, it'll it be the right situation for him, maybe. But, yeah, I, like Kyle said, like, I don't know if De'Aaron Fox is going to be there, but I think there's a better chance than not. So so why would you, why, why, like, why would you covet a guy that much? I, uh, I would put it at, like, a two. I, I do not see it happening. Yeah, like you guys, I think it's a pretty high probability that they are interested in in Fox and that they'd be willing to move up to get him, maybe even desirous to move up to get him if the price is right. I do think three and or five and ten is too much. I do think because of the way things have gone, you know, I think this this rumor this might even be something where maybe a couple weeks ago when Fox was being talked about to the Lakers at three, maybe Vlade sitting there thinking, all right, if we need to, I'll give up the tenth pick to to make this happen. But now that you sit back and you look at it, and Jackson looks like he has more of a chance of going two than Fox did, or than Fox does at this point, and you know Ball is going to go in the top three, and you know Fultz is going to go in the top three, you only need one more player, one more player to be picked before then, where you don't even have to worry about this. So I think this could be something where maybe they had interest in it a week ago, two weeks ago, when it looks like Fox could have been a top three pick. But now that it's looking like there's a little less talk of that, maybe he's backed off of that. Again, seven, eight in terms of their interest in moving up to get Fox two or three in terms of giving up the 10th pick to make that happen. I'm with you guys. It just seems like a, a huge overpay to do it. Uh, I hope they're willing to do it because ripping off Lottie seems like a, a good pastime to get into the habit of having. I just it, it, it seems like too much with the way that the rumors are breaking and where Fox is going to end up. Wouldn't it be funny? I know James Dolan, after uh, Masai ripped off the Knicks and that Bargnani trade. Got scared of trading with him. Yeah, the uh, good thing the Vivek, I don't think he's put the embargo up on Vivek trading with the Sixers. It doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. Um, but I mean, but think about the Kings though. They don't have anybody on that team that's good enough that they can sacrifice more dice rolls yeah, at an picks. impact player. Like and they, they did need, it last year too. Yeah, and they need they need a bunch of chances at getting that guy. So I just, I don't see how you can justify sacrificing a, another top 10 pick. But no, they traded for more picks last year. They had a uh, Marcus, Marquise Chris, didn't they trade That's him right, to with, move down and yes, get Papa G? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. It doesn't seem like they're in the right spot for that. I agree. All right. That kind of brings us into another rumor though, which is that who said this, that Jonathan Isaac had a guarantee at a top four pick. I forget where this came from. I know, I know he saw it on SB Nation, but I don't think they, broke the story. What do you think the odds are of that being true? Uh, that would shock me. And I'm a, you guys know, all of us are Isaac fans. I'm sorry, not that he's a guaranteed top four, that he won't work out for anyone outside of the top four in the interest of accuracy. Um, I, again, you you said it earlier. This, at this time of year is all about posturing. And Jonathan Isaac and his agent wanted to make it seem like there's no chance he's going to fall. Like even if he doesn't go top four, that if you're picking in the back half of that top ten, you better be prepared to move up to five, six, seven, or you're not getting them. And and there are teams that are a fit for him in that range. So I can see why they would do it. I believe that. I would be. I'm very high on Isaac. We, we'll talk about our big boards next week, but I would be stunned if he went. 
top four in this draft, to be quite honest with you. Could it be a skill set thing, too? I mean, I think Isaac, his, you know, he shines through when there's five guys playing offense in front of him, and he's basically covering them all by himself. Yeah. And, you know, obviously as a top prospect, you don't work out against other top players. So so what does he really have to gain from an individual workout? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it would probably be better. I'm sure some teams would at least want to talk to him in the uh, in the five to seven range, which is where he's, you know, he's mostly being projected. But, um, you know, I... I don't. I would be surprised. Uh, I would not be surprised if he fell out of the top four. Let's put it that way. Even if I think he is a top four prospect. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I I'm right there with you guys. All right. Last one, and then we will let you guys go. A little bit of a short podcast today. We have Ian Bagley reporting that the Sixers are big fans, or some within the organization are big fans of Dennis Smith Jr. Odds that this one has legs. With as vague as it is, I'd say it's a 10 out of 10. I'm sure that there are Dennis Smith fans in the Sixers organization. Now, the the important thing to note there is who the fans yes. are, number one, because if some low-level scout or another member of the front office is a fan of Dennis Smith, that doesn't hold as much weight as if Brian Colangelo is a big fan of Dennis Smith. And the other part of that is, to what degree are they fans of him? Are they fans of Dennis Smith to the point that he's a top three consideration? Maybe not. Are they fans of Dennis Smith to the point that if they had ten, all ten of the top ten picks, they would take him with one of them? Yeah, I could certainly buy that. So, like, I just, I'm sure that they like him. I, I think Dennis Smith is a, a very good prospect and someone they should certainly be considering. Uh, I don't know that I would. I don't think he'll be a serious contender at number three, but that's just my read of the everything else that we've heard so far. Big fan. That's a, that's a great term. It's a, it's a hilarious way to put it. Like, I think I'm a pretty big fan of Dennis Smith. I don't think <laughs> I draft him third, but, but I, I think he's going to be a really good player. Yeah. He's got a really intriguing skill set. Like as far as the athleticism and ball handling, that's and shooting too. That's really impressive. I mean, I'm, you know, I would be upset. I, I would be upset if the Sixers took De'Aaron Fox. I'm kind of a fan of De'Aaron Fox. I like his skill set, like just not as much as the other guys. Maybe not a big fan, though. Maybe I'm not a, a big I'm fan. A fan. I'm like not a, me- a big fan. medium fan. Not not a <laughs> like. Are they diehard fans or are they? So just, you're you're above they, a desk fan, but you're not quite at like a full you're not like a, you're not like a deadhead yeah. that's going to travel. I'm a fair we- I'm a fair weather De'Aaron Fox fan. Not not that dedicated, but yeah, it's I like. I mean, there there's so many scouts in the room that like. Of course, some people are going to like the, uh, Dennis Smith with the way this draft is. That That is a 10 out of 10. And the question is, does it actually mean anything? That might be like a 2 out of 10. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's not only which scout, but also like what does big fan even mean? Does that mean you right. take him with the third pick or does that mean you just you would take him at the seventh pick? Like it doesn't it's it's definitely a very vague report that has very little meaning. But it's also one that you have to write about because it's that time of year and that cycle that we live in. All right. Any uh, any real takeaways from today's morning workout? Obviously not a whole lot of NBA talent. You had Hart, you had Brooks, and it's kind of about it in terms of who's going to at least be drafted. Uh, I mean, I, Hart definitely struggled today. It was definitely not his finest hour. I thought Brooks looked good, and he looked good in the things that you would want him to do if he was in Philadelphia or elsewhere, for that matter. I thought he finished through contact while at the basket. He shot pretty well when he's had opportunities from the outside and 
he's an interesting player because he played played in a, a few different roles at Oregon, but one of them was basically being the nominal point guard for that team for large stretches, and he's he's not going to play that role in the NBA. But in a Ben Simmons led offense, I think he could nominally be a point guard and play off ball and catch and shoot, do all that stuff. I think offensively, he proved himself to be a a pretty capable guy of creating his own shot. I think he actually was one of the best wings in the country this year at creating his own shot attempts at the rim, which that's generally a good indicator for guys at the next level. So I would be interested in Dylan Brooks. I'm I'm certainly still interested in Josh Hart, despite him struggling today. Um, I also think I will be hearing Ennis's voice ringing in my ears for the next week or so, because that dude just loves to talk and that's, not a criticism at all. He's a great communicator on pick and rolls and all sorts of stuff. So it was a lively morning in the gym. Let's put it that way. You said it earlier today, Derek. Oregon is just dominating the second <laughs> round this year. Maybe Jordan Bell sneaks into the first they've round. They've had four different Oregon players in, considering they've had almost nobody in Camden so far. For four of them in the last week and a half to be from Oregon, it's been it's been a busy time. Chip Kelly influence. <laughs> yeah. Duck bias. Um, Oregon... Uh, with the players today, I would say I have a lot of interest in Hart and Brooks uh, with the uh, you know with the pick in the early second round for the Sixers. My question is, like, are these guys going to get on the floor? The Sixers already have a million young wings that they're at least somewhat invested in. So, like, even if they were to draft one of these guys, I mean, they, I, I wouldn't play them over Timmy Lawu. No, I'm not sure the Sixers would play them over. Even like Nick Stauskas yet. I mean, I, I, they would at least get the chance to prove themselves. Especially because Stauskas had his best shooting year from outside last year, and he he's finally starting to look like the shooter that they thought he would be. It's weird. Like the Sixers, you know, they're obviously not very good yet, but they're deep with young players that they at least have some sort of investment. Too much depth. What a world. What a world. Um, all right. I think that's probably good. Thank you guys for jumping on. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. We obviously have the Malik Monk workout now in about an hour's time for us, but it'll be a negative time for you guys when you listen to this. And we also, we will have, oh, listeners, stick around. We will have Sam Ficini on to talk about the draft right after this. All right, take care. See you guys. Yep. Father's Day is just around the corner, and Dad's going to be impossible to shop for. Difficult to find something that feels special, while also something that they'll actually use. And if you're like me, you're always waiting till the last minute because of it. Fortunately, our friends over at Harry's have a special offer that you're going to love, and Dad will love too. Get $5 off of one of their shaving sets, including a limited edition Father's Day set at harrys.com slash sixersbeat. Harry's limited edition Father's Day shaving set comes with a storm gray razor handle, a chrome razor stand, plus it comes with a sleek box that even has the option of adding custom engraving and a personalized card for free. It's a Father's Day gift that just can't be beat. It's practical, you know your father will enjoy it, and it's not going to break the bank. I've been using Harry's exclusively for the last few months, and I've never been happier with my shave, finding a balance between a close shave and a reasonable price that their competitors can't match. Go to harrys.com slash sixersbeat right now to redeem a special offer exclusively for fans of the show, as Harry's will give you $5 off of one of their shaving sets. This is for a limited time only, so act now. That's harrys.com slash sixersbeat to get $5 off and help support the show. Now stick around as the second half of this podcast features Sam Ficini of The Sporting News to continue talking about next week's draft. Welcome, everybody. I am now joined by Sam Vicini. You, of course, know him from the sporting news. 
Fritz Revice, host of the Game Theory Podcast, a fellow CLNS Media uh, podcast. How you doing, Sam? I am doing great, Derek. How are you doing, man? It's it's that time of the year, man. I'm doing I'm doing fantastic. It is uh you know, I think at this time of year you kind of get there's a part of me that wouldn't mind talking about new prospects a little bit. Uh, yeah. And you set, you talk about the same 60 names, and especially if you're covering the Sixers, the same six or seven names so long yeah. that there's just not so many different ways to kind of look at these prospects anymore. And I wouldn't mind scouting the next group of people, but it's also the most exciting time of the year, both because of all the decisions that are made, kind of parsing through the bullshit, which was kind of the focus of the first half of the, the episode, and also just because it's such a big deal. Like, the decisions are so important. The trades, it's probably the second biggest, busiest trade day of the year. It's it's a great time of year, really. It really is a great time of the year. It's fun for player movement. I'm someone who, you know, I focus all of my writing essentially on team building, right? Um, I, I love it. Like, I, I cannot emphasize enough how much I really, really enjoy uh, this time of year. And, you know, as someone who also uh, covers the draft and covers college basketball regularly, this is just... Uh, to me, the best time of the year, but there is definitely a bit of a malaise that hits, right? Uh, there's only so many different ways I can talk about Malik Monk at this stage. There are only yeah. so many ways I can talk about Josh Jackson and his shooting concerns at this stage, right? Funny you should mention that, though. Pretty much covering the Sixers, pretty much all of my writing is about team building as well, and one day I will cover basketball games. On top of that, I'm not sure when that day will be, hopefully next fall, but <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, it is. It is fun. All right. So I guess to start this podcast off, because it does impact the Sixers so much, and because I do think there is quite a bit of uncertainty still. At least there's a lot of discussion about it. You know, what's kind of your temperature on what the Lakers will do at two, and is that Josh Jackson going there at number two? Is that kind of a real thing in your mind, or is that maybe a little overblown? So look, I think that what's happening here is. The Lakers are not only trying to keep everyone guessing, but, you know, on some level, I do think that they're also trying to scout and play catch up, right? Because it's, like, it's not like Magic Johnson was out at college basketball games scouting all year. It's not like Rob Polinka wasn't super busy running Landmark Sports Agency earlier this year. Um, so I think that they're definitely trying to make up a little bit for lost time, having all of these guys in twice, making sure they're making a cogent correct decision ultimately I do think that Lonzo Ball is going to be the guy if I had to ballpark like percentages I would say like 75 percent Lonzo 24 percent Josh Jackson and then like one percent De'Aaron Fox like I I, it, I struggle to see how they're going to take De'Aaron Fox at number two um ultimately that was though, a real talk for a while though it was kind of surprising where it came out of nowhere yeah I don't know exactly where it came from, but it certainly was out there. That's true. Um, having said that, though, uh, it's it's not the easiest uh, not the easiest decision for the Lakers because you know they already have D'Angelo Russell, they already have Brandon Ingram on some level. Both Lonzo Ball and Josh Jackson overlap with their past two top two overall selections. So you know. It's not to say that they can't be complementary pieces to each of those players. They can be. I think Lonzo and D'Angelo Russell are going to be a great fit if they go that direction. 
But having said that, it's still going to be uh, a really interesting draft night at number two. Because if you remember, uh, the last time that the Lakers were number two and Philadelphia was number three, uh, many people went into the day assuming it would be Jaleel Okafor at number two. And uh, they ended up surprising a little bit and going with D'Angelo Russell. So maybe that'll be the case this year as well, but I'm not expecting that either. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that 2015 draft that you referenced, Nobody really knew, and I think a lot of people kind of thought they knew it was going to be Okafor, and then there's the day, even the day of the draft, the hours before the draft, I remember just walking up to very prominent national reporters on the draft floor and asking, and you pretty much just got, like, you know, the emoji shrug, and they did a really good job of keeping that one close. And it is interesting now this year because you have some people reporting that Jackson has a promise, you have them bringing him for a second workout, you have Jackson canceling workouts, Granted, it was with the Celtics, um, but you still have him canceling workouts. They do seem like they are trying a little bit of misdirection. I do agree with you that it makes sense for them to, you know, really do their due diligence considering how late of a start they got. It will be interesting. I kind of agree with you that I still think Lonzo Ball is a favorite. I'm just not sure if I would have him as as much of the favorite as I did maybe two weeks ago. I do feel like Josh Jackson, I'm, I'm with you. I never really bought the De'Aaron Fox at number two talk that was going on, I see Josh Jackson as a more legitimate challenger for that spot. So, like, here's the thing about promises, though, right, and that canceled Celtics workout. Promises typically work as, okay, if you're at this spot, we will take you. Sure. Uh, You won't fall below this point. Why would Josh Jackson, like, not go and try and work out, right? Like, why would he not uh, go and try and become the number one overall pick for whatever reason? I don't think having a promise at two or three – is necessarily going to stop that, right? Like, you know, maybe Boston just has too many, uh, too many wings and they have Jalen Brown and they're, you know, a solid likelihood to sign Gordon Hayward and they have Jay Crowder and they have all these guys on the wing. Maybe he just doesn't want to enter a crowded wing situation. Uh, I don't think that a promise though is going to stop him from working out with the Celtics given how those typically work. Sure. All right. Moving a little bit off of that, not too far. The Kings, and part of this is why I'm surprised at this rumor, because it does seem like at least the first three picks in the draft are a little bit, or let me put it this way, Fultz, Ball, and Jackson being among the first four picks seems fairly predictable, so it doesn't seem like the Kings need to panic, but do you see there's a rumor out there for the number three pick, for the number five pick, and the number ten pick? I guess I'll break this down into two parts. Do you see five and ten? as being something that you you think they could realistically pursue? And do you see a more general moving up from from the number five pick to get the guy they want as something that is realistic? Yeah, so what I've been told by, you know, people who work within the basketball industry and, you know, quote-unquote sources or whatever you want to talk, like call them, is that the Kings definitely are interested in moving up for the best guard that they can get. You know, something along those lines. And a lot of people believe that name to be De'Aaron Fox. I do not think they are willing to trade number five and number 10 to do it. Uh, You know, maybe if they were getting up to number one, I'm sure that that would be something they would be willing to do. But like to get to number three, I don't think that's something they're going to be in the game for, so to speak. Right. So I do think that there is some smoke there to that rumor, or like where there's smoke, there's fire. I, I, I believe that, that they, they would like to move up and try and secure a guard, not only because 
they really just don't have any point guards right now signed to that roster, but also because a point guard would really help foster the development of all of the big guys that they've taken and of Buddy Heald, who they just traded, uh, or who they just acquired in the DeMarcus Cousins trade. So a point guard, I think, in their mind would help to foster a lot of development as well as fill a hole. Um, ultimately, I, I don't see number five and number 10 for number three. You know, maybe I can see something along the lines of like, number five, and Bogdan Bogdanovich, who, you know, I believe to be relatively similar in talent to the number 10 overall pick, but you're going to have to pay him right away at like $9 million a year, $10 million a year to get him to come over for, from Turkey, right? Uh, you know, he's a much more expensive commodity than what the number 10 overall pick will be. So something like that might make a little bit more sense for me. Number five and a like solid sweetener, but I don't see, you know, the Kings giving up multiple picks to move up in this draft, even if they want to move up. Yeah. I mean, I, it, that always seemed like a huge overpay to me. And the only reason I even kind of kept that on the, uh, on the back of my mind is because it is, I mean, the Kings are one of those organizations that, yeah, it's a huge overpay, but we should ask anyway. Sure. And you know, like maybe, maybe it's like five and 10 for number three and something. I don't know yeah. what that something would be though, right? Like it, it's hard for me to like kind of wrap my head around what it would be. Like it's not going to be the Lakers pick next year. It's not going to be the future Kings pick. It's not going to be either of Philly's uh first round picks over the course of the next two years. I don't know that Tim Luawu is enough to do that. I don't know that uh I'm certain that the Sixers wouldn't want to add Dario Saric. Like I think that it's just really hard to make three and something for five and ten work. All right, let's go to, on that off chance, that 25% chance you gave of Lonzo Ball not going at number two. I guess my question there is, if he's there, would you take him for the Sixers? And also, how do you see his fit with the Sixers? Because I think this is something where, you know, a lot of of people, a lot of reasonable people disagree on. Yeah, they do. And, you know, I even really, really struggle with it myself. On one hand, if they are set on trying this Ben Simmons experiment at point guard, I really like the idea of Lonzo Ball being like a lead distributing, like, I don't want to say role player, but like a a lead unselfish distributing like guard, you know, Um, it, it would be a very different position from what your typical point guard is but it would be useful nonetheless. He could get them in and out of sets in the half court. Uh, he and Ben Simmons eventually would combine to create, in all likelihood, like the most fearsome fast break uh, in the NBA, maybe behind the Golden State Warriors. Uh, like There are a lot of bonuses to taking Lonzo Ball. I believe in the jump shot of Lonzo Ball as well. Like I think that if you keep him on the left side of the floor uh, and you keep him to where he can go right to left, crossover, step back, uh, you know, he's going to be a really effective jump shooter. Like, I think he's going to knock shots down at like a 38 to 42% three point level. It's, it's just like, how do teams, how can teams effectively stop him from getting that shot off while they can play him to the right and he's going to have a lot more trouble shooting it? He's not going to be this like crazy elite level scorer, I don't think. He's going to be a really good distributor who, you know, fosters a sort of, um, unselfishness, a culture of unselfishness on your team. It's just a very, very tricky, uh, uh, you know, fit because there's also, on the other hand, the idea that 
I think that on some level, all three of Joe Allenbead, Lonzo Ball, and Ben Simmons do like having the ball in their hands. Like, even though Lonzo Ball is, uh, you know, a, a very unselfish player, he is still a player that, you know, defines himself strongly as being the point guard and the leader of the team. Uh, I would think that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid do the same. Is Are all of those personalities really going to fit well together, right? There are questions uh, on both sides of the aisle, and there are, uh, you know, thoughts that are that would make you think it would really, really work, right? If you used Lonzo and Ben Simmons as like dual distributors, dual ball, dual ball handlers. Um, ultimately, I think that if he was there at number three, I would take the chance. Uh, I would just take him. I believe in the jump shot. Like I said, uh, he provides a modicum of floor spacing, but I don't think it's a really simple decision either. Yeah. I mean, he, he it would. The way you talk about that transition game, that would be a blast. And also just playing him off of, you know, let's say you can put Simmons and Embiid in a pick and roll and, and you can get a five on three and force rotations. He could absolutely pick those apart uh, with his, you know, passing and, and you get a couple of other shooters and cutters around him. That could be fun to watch. It will, I mean, the biggest probably concern you would have there is the personality one you brought up and whether or not they would all, you know, I guess what I would say is that perception is still really important and being the quote unquote point guard, being the quote unquote lead ball handler, these things that may not have all that much relevance to even coaching staffs and general managers, as we kind of shift how we play the game, they still do resonate a little bit with players and you'd want to kind of make sure that would work itself out as well. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, uh, you can't underestimate the fact that these, uh, these players have egos and uh, they, they do, especially players at that high of a level, right? Like Joel Embiid was the number three overall pick and just dominated the NBA. Ben Simmons, from the time he was 14, was the number one player in his age group. Lonzo Ball, from the time he was 15, you know, had people saying that he was the number one player in his age group. And I think I uh, could reasonably make that case that he was the number one player in his age group. So, you know, it's difficult to not develop an ego. And honestly, I think Lonzo Ball's done a really great job of not uh, developing a level of selfishness, right? Like the fact that he is as unselfish as he is, uh, you know, as a teammate is speaks volumes about his character. He's an extraordinarily high character kid having met him. Uh, the thing is, though, is that he's also an extremely competent player that genuinely believes in himself as a leader of a basketball team, as like the traditional point guard as we've spoken about it in former NBA terms, right? So I don't know exactly how it's all going to work out. Like, I I think that there would be real concern. Ultimately, I think I would just take the shot and, you know, bring in as many high upside talents as you can. Yep. No, I I agree. Um, All right, let's go back to that 75% chance that you gave of ball going number two. Now, in your Seth Drafthouse mock draft, you have Josh Jackson number three. Yeah. But that is what you think will happen. What would you do? Yeah. Um, I would try as hard as I can to trade down, uh, first and foremost. Uh, I really do not like this spot for them, to be honest. Uh, having said that, I would, I think, take Malik Monk. 
And the reason that I say that is that, you know, when you're talking to me, there's a tier one and a tier two in this top 10, right? Tier one is Markel Fultz by himself. Tier two is, you know, the Alonzo Ball, Josh Jackson, Jason Tatum, Jonathan Isaac, Dennis Smith, Malik Monk, Lowry Markin, and Frank Nilakina, like kind of grouping, right? And there's all of those players are flawed in their own way. And there's not a crazy amount of difference in their talent level. So fit is going to be paramount in my opinion. And you kind of run down the list of players, you know, Josh Jackson, there are concerns about the jump shot in terms of spacing the floor. The Sixers really, really are going to need floor spacing offensively next year, given the fact that Joel Embiid loves to do a lot of his work on the block, and given that Ben Simmons is going to be a poor jump shooter next year. I think that that's probably a pretty fair uh, assessment of where he's at. Jason Tatum is a very high-usage player in a setting where he would have uh, and he likes to kind of pound the ball a little bit within his usage, uh, wherein he would already have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid in the front court. Darren Fox is obviously the jump shot question that, you know, I, I'm someone who does believe he will eventually become a, you know, 33, 34, 35% three point shooter, but I'm not even sure that that is good enough for what the Sixers are going to need. Um, you know, Jonathan Isaac, there are concerns about the jump shot. He would fit interestingly between Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid as a defensive kind of, you know, switching monster who could protect the weak side of the rim and do some interesting stuff. Um, it's it's intriguing to me, but ultimately I would go a different direction. Uh, so that kind of brings me down to Dennis Smith and Malik Monk. Uh, Dennis Smith, I think there are still questions about his jump shot that he needs to answer. He hit at around a 0.7 point per possession clip off the dribble last season, which was in like the 35th percentile of all college basketball players and good for like a 35 effective field goal percentage. Uh, so that leaves you with Malik Monk, who, yeah, he's going to have defensive concerns, but you also have Joel Embiid and the Sixers had the best defense in the NBA uh, with Joel Embiid on the floor last year. Malik Monk is clearly the best shooter in the top 10 of this draft beyond maybe Lowry Markkinen, but you're not going to take Lowry Markkinen uh, for the Sixers team. Uh, you know, Malik Monk is going to be able to run off screens. He's going to space the floor. You can throw him on point guards, and if you're set on playing Ben Simmons at point guard, you can have Malik Monk run off of screens on the baseline, run off of pin downs, create open space for his teammates that, as I said during the Josh Jackson portion of this uh, you know, monologue, that uh, that is going to be so paramount for the 76ers team. They need a guy who can be an off-ball scorer uh, almost more than they need anything else, in my opinion. And th that's something that Malik Monk can do, man. That That is, I have no doubts that he is going to be able, if you put him in the right situation, he can average 20 points between being able to knock down shots off the catch and knock down shots off of, you know, step back, shots off the dribble and getting out into transition as with Ben Simmons as a running mate, he's going to be able to average 20 points in the NBA. And I think that is a really, really useful thing for the 76ers to have. So if you made me pick right now, even if they can't move down from number three, I think I would probably take Malik Monk, even though like that is a quote unquote by draft boards stretch. Yeah. 
that's interesting because on your mock draft you have him tenth, and I think that that shows two things. First of all, that that portion of the draft really is very close, and probably closer than I've maybe ever seen it in the the time that I've been covering the team, and at least deeper than I've or covering the draft, right? At least deeper than I've seen it. But also that the Sixers are in a little bit of a different spot because you do have those two guys at the top in Embiid and Simmons, who are a probably better than who you're going to be drafting at three in terms of sheer upside. Certainly at Embiid is, that's no question. And guys who are, you're you're pretty confident or what you're going to build around. So it changes the strategy just a a little bit. Yep. Uh, All right. So I know you go to a lot of the high school events. Malik Monk played a lot on the ball during his high school career. I guess my question to you is how much confidence do you have in him growing into a little bit more of a combo guard where he can initiate some, even if just as like a, a secondary, you know, like side pick and roll type thing? I think he can probably do that at some point. Uh, It's certainly not something that he showed at Kentucky. And, you know, he shot, I want to say, like something like 15% of his half-court field goal attempts came at the rim, which is incredibly low for a guy that is as athletic as he is and, uh, you know, as skilled as he is. Uh, You know, even like Stephen Curry took like 25% of his shots at the rim. Even like Randy Foy took like 27% of his shots at the rim uh, during their years of college. And how much of that do you blame on Kentucky's system not having any floor spacing whatsoever? How much of it do you blame on Malik Monk not having a ton of, you know, ball handling ability? I think it's a combination of both. You know, uh, Malik doesn't have a ton of shake in the kind of like stop start mode, right? Like he doesn't, he doesn't have a great feel for like getting players like on his back or on his hip in the pick and roll and then like taking a like floater, right? He doesn't have like a lot of the little tricks of the trade that all of these other elite point guards in this draft have. He does, on the other hand, have the ability though to use his dribble to step back and knock down shots. The key is going to be can he develop the ball handling ability to dribble forward and dribble into the teeth of the defense instead of just dribbling for a jump shot? A lot of players can dribble for a jump shot. Uh, dribbling to attack is a different ball game, though, and I think that that's where uh, Monk struggles and where uh, it's difficult to judge whether or not he's going to be able to ever get there. I tend not to, like, just, you know, blanketly say that a 19-year-old is never going to develop a skill. But ball handling is certainly a very difficult skill to develop, and uh, Malik doesn't quite have what you need to play point guard yet. Okay, so circling back to Jackson a little bit, and I think so much of his projection, not only as a fit with the Sixers, but also in terms of his upside, it's, you know, it's really hard to reach his upside if he can't you know, draw defenders out. How much confidence do you have in his jump shot, at least getting up to that 33, 34, 35% range, sort of the similar range you talked to with the Aaron Fox and kind of, you know, the point where NBA defenses really have to focus on you. And how much confidence do you have him off the ball? Or do you think this is something where he's going to have to drastically remake his his shooting motion? Oh, man. Um, I think that if he wants to get above that, like, 35% mark, he's probably going to have to remake the shooting motion. But he's such a rhythm shooter. Like, he, he's such a shooter that when he gets into, like, the flow of a game, just kind of knocks down shots. You know, he was in the top 25 percentile of all college basketball players in shooting off the catch and off the dribble this season. 
that's very weird uh, given his shot mechanics where, like, he brings the ball back a little bit too close to his face. Uh, you know, his legs and lower body movement goes a little bit wild. But he's just such an elite-level athlete, not only in terms of explosiveness, but also in terms of just being, like, having incredible hand-eye coordination and uh, having incredible fluidity and uh, all of the little stuff that you want from a draft prospect athletically. He also has that as well as being an explosive athlete. Um, and he also reads the game incredibly well. Uh, he's able to get separation uh, with his first step. So maybe you kind of just can believe that he will be a 35% shooter, but anything beyond that, it's really tough for me. And to be honest, like, I don't know if him getting to 34, 35% draws the defenses out. Like as we've seen with Draymond Green, for instance, in Golden State, you know, Draymond Green is up around that range, right? Like he doesn't necessarily draw defenses out to him. Like teams are relatively okay with letting him shoot that. I worry that that's going to be the same kind of situation with Josh Jackson where teams are going to be like, okay, we don't want him to beat us to the rim. Uh, You know, go ahead and shoot that. We think that is a more efficient offense, even if you are a 33, 34, 35% shooter. All right, one other guy in the top that draws a lot of interest from Sixers fans is Dennis Smith. And I know you're a little lower on him than, than some people, certainly not a lot of people. I think there's there's no real consensus on Dennis Smith. I think I'm like right in the middle, yeah. Yeah, probably. But, that, I mean, because the Sixers need a guard, because he did have some success off the catch, and because I think the Sixers fans are still a little bit looking for somebody who can initiate offense alongside Ben Simmons. You know, I guess what are your major concerns with Smith and projecting him as an NBA point guard? So, yeah, like I mentioned, the jump shot is a little bit concerning. Having said that, I think he probably has the most upside of any of the guards beyond Markel Fultz because he is already, I I think he's probably the best athlete in this draft. Uh, Just full stop. In terms of first step, in terms of applied athleticism on the floor, in terms of vertical explosiveness. Like, I think he's probably the guy who utilizes his athleticism best in this draft. And he he, uh, actualizes that athleticism uh, in a great way because of his polish in the screen and roll game. He's really good at all of the little stuff that I kind of mentioned Malik Monk not being good at. He has really good vision, and he's a really good creator in terms of his passing ability. Uh, You know, he is able to explode up toward the rim and finish above the rim. He's able to finish with little floaters in the mid-range game. The jump shot, he's a good shooter off of the catch, but if you're drafting a point guard, I think that you're more worried about his jump shot off of the dribble. Uh, That's where my concern comes in. He gets a little uh, flaily mechanically during uh, his jump shots off the dribble. That's fixable. I think that a lot of what he does is fixable. Ultimately, the concern is, uh, will his body hold up? I mean, obviously, he's coming off of an ACL injury, uh, you know, in his senior year of high school. He doesn't necessarily have the biggest frame in the world. Uh, But also, uh, how does he affect winning basketball? He's a very apathetic defender at times. Uh, You know, he can pound the ball. I don't think that I'm breaking news there. Like, I think he can really pound the ball. Uh, you know, on the perimeter in an unnecessary manner from time to time. Uh, you know, he, he does things that make you wonder, is he going to be a winning basketball player? But uh, if things break right for him, 
you can see him becoming a monster, like pick and roll player with both Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And you can see him just like having all of the space in the world, hopefully in attacking off the dribble. Uh, if the Sixers can find more shooters, but given the fact that they don't have those shooters yet, uh, I do wonder if he would struggle a little bit early on and through his first few years while they, uh, while, while they find those floor spacers to play with uh, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and himself. Yeah. All right. One more question, and I will let you go. The Sixers have four second-round picks right now. I don't think anybody expects them to walk out of there with four second-round picks. But because they have so much invested, not invested, but because they have so many opportunities in the second round, I guess a couple sleepers you like, maybe guys that you like more than consensus, or guys who you think would fit the Sixers and what their team needs are. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> this gets so tricky. Um, I, if I was them, I would try and take a backup point guard. Um, I like the idea of Monte Morris. I like the idea of Frank Mason. Uh, you know, if they take a point guard at number three, then that changes matters. But, you know, if they can end up out of this draft with Monte Morris or Frank Mason, I think that's a win for them, uh, even though they do have TJ McConnell, who is, uh, you know, just, just a stud, just an absolute monster. Um other guys, I like Tyler Dorsey as like kind of a, let's say they don't take Malik Monk at number three. Uh, I like Tyler Dorsey as like kind of a mini Malik Monk who can knock down shots off the dribble uh, and, you know, who can be instant offense, maybe off the bench for them. Oh, man, like so many of the things that I think they need are like wings who can shoot. And that player really just doesn't exist in the second round of this draft. Like maybe LJ Peak. You think that you can convince him to like become a better shooter, or like you can, you know, develop him to where he's a better shooter. Maybe LJ Peak makes some sense. Uh, it's real tricky, you know. Like, you know, Andrew White is another guy that I might take a flyer on if I was them. Uh, you know, a knockdown shooter out of Syracuse. They have what? Well, what's their last pick? They have a late pick. They have like number fifty, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So like. Maybe at number 50, you take a shot on a guy like Andrew White. The thing is, though, like, and I just wrote about this today at Vice, but, like, the two-way contracts are going to throw this thing for an entire loop. Like, 76ers only have two two-way contract slots. They might not use either of those two-way contract slots on second-round picks, but they might use both of them on second-round picks. Which guys will they use it on? Like, which, uh, you know, which guys are going to be amenable to stashes? Which guys are going to be, uh, you know, willing to, uh, you know, play in the D-League or something like that. It's a really, really tricky process. It's a really, really difficult uh, thing to figure out right now in the NBA draft, just how the uh, how the middle portion on the all the way down to the end portion of this second round is going to go. Okay, one more, and I know I said one more last time, but fairly underwhelming international class, I think, by most people's estimations, made it's a little worse by some, uh, by some withdrawals. But I guess one or two that you might like or at least have some interest or some intrigue or maybe have a faint glimmer of hope for maybe fans who aren't necessarily watching a whole lot of you know international hoops. Yeah, Alberto Obalde is interesting. Average double figures this year in the ACB League. Uh, decent passer. Bit of a streak shooter. If he can shoot a little bit better, maybe you can see him getting to the NBA down the road. Uh, Marco Guterich is watching him is kind of unlike any like other international player that I can remember. He's like this herky jerky lefty at six foot six 
who shoots like 35% from three, but he only shoots 35% from three because like a not insignificant portion of his shots come from like 26 feet away. And he just chucks it up, and so many of them go in. Uh, a lot of them don't go in. But he's not like a great athlete, but he's a shot maker with no conscience that interests me at the very least. Um, you know, Ognin Yaramaz is another interesting guy. He was just the MVP of the uh, Adidas Eurocamp in Treviso. He's been one of my favorites for a long time. Uh, he declared, I want to say maybe for the 2015 draft, and decided to uh, you know pull out at the last minute. Uh, you know, he's a point guard, like a six foot four guy, but he's not your typical like European, like super skilled point guard. Uh, he is an athlete that like will jump up and throw down on you uh, in all of the best ways. Like he's just a super fun, uh, super interesting player to me that you could do worse than stashing. Like I, I know that the the Sixers have Vasile Micic. Is that right still? Yep. Uh you know, very different than Vasily Micic. So, like, will they want to stash another point guard? I don't know. But Ognin Yaramaz is at least interesting to me as a player. All right. Uh, great stuff. Thank you so much for giving us a moment of your time. Follow him at Sam underscore Vassini on Twitter. Read him at Sporting News. Listen to him at the Game Theory Podcast. Once again, thank you for coming on. Anything else you want to plug real quickly while we, we have you? No, man, we're good, Derek. I appreciate you having me on, man, as always. Uh, you do great work, and I'm always happy to help you out. All right, appreciate it. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. 